This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast. Bless You Boys is the SB Nation site devoted to Tigers baseball. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys. And this is episode one, but I don't know, version 4.0 maybe of, of the Bless You Boys podcast under various names and aliases over the years. Um, the we here is, is Ashley McLennan, who is also a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys. Ashley, how's it going tonight? Pretty good. I, I like to think of it not as like versions, but like doctors in Doctor Who, like we're, you know, <laughs> regenerations. So we're not quite up to the tenant level, but I think if this is the fourth one, we're the Tom Baker version of the Bless You Boys podcast, which makes us the best. Oh, that would be the best. Okay, well, well I, I like... I'm a tenant fan. Uh, this got real nerdy all of a sudden. Uh, that's all right. I'm, you know, I can nerd out with the best of them, but I'm actually like I'm very bad on on Doctor Who, um, apart from knowing who Karen Gillan is to almost an obsessive degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, cute redheads are, you know, yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're important to the world, especially when they're very tall. There's kind of a thing yeah. with super tall, like redheaded young women in TV right now. They're, it seems like uh, Sophie Turner of Sansa Stark fame must be at least six feet tall as well. It's kind of an oddity. Maybe it's like a genetic thing. If you have red hair, you also have to be very tall. It's part of the part of the ginger DNA. It might be. <laughs> Although I'm ginger and I am not tall, so I have freckles and I'm about six one. But I, yeah, my red hair went away when I was little, so I think I'm only <laughs> I think I'm only part ginger. That's what I tell Fair people. Enough. I'm a hybrid. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so ostensibly, this is going to be a baseball podcast, but uh, there, you know, well, it's just been on, such a bleak, <laughs> such a bleak yeah, off season. Going, it might just be a let's talk about tall redheads and Doctor Who podcast. It might and that better. might be more interesting than the current state of affairs of this friggin' off season. Pardon yeah. my French. No, I think I think we're gonna go French. I mean, you know, you're you're Canadian, not necessarily of the French parts. So I think we have an in with the French, and if we have to swear, we just will. <laughs> are we believing it? Is that what we're doing? Is this the, or are we just gonna let it go? Are we just R-rated? Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be R-rated. I mean, the Tigers really aren't safe for kids to watch right now, and so I feel like the podcast probably has to has the to kind of match that. Anybody to watch right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like for a decade now, you know, we'd be sitting here like rolling through lists of free agents, like, you know, what's that final piece for the Tigers? You know, who's going to close? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, like we could legit be writing like, will the Tigers buy on Stanton? Like, where are they on Otani? And instead, it's like I don't know which like seventh round draft pick dropped by the <laughs> Phillies will they look at next week? I know, I know, and we didn't even want that guy. You know, like you know, we were talking earlier, Mark Apple, you know, released by the Phillies, former number one pick by the Astros, and uh, got DFA'd, and no one picked him up. Just like disappears Just... right back into the ether, and the Phillies get to keep him apparently. Yeah, that's surprising to me, actually. I honestly thought somebody would grab Apple, like... 
Yeah, it's... they haven't converted him to a reliever yet and tried that whole, you know, scheme. So, yeah, I kind of thought somebody might. Sometimes these things, though, are just like, I think uh, Robert Jackie was saying this this as well. It's just that a lot of times, like, there's kind of a handshake deal or just everybody just kind of knows, like, all right, we're just going to let you can let you keep that guy for whatever reason and not not yep. claim your poor former first round draft pick that you traded Ken Giles for. Yeah, that was the thing too with the Mariners last season. I can't remember who with, but it was definitely a, a they let somebody on. They DFA'd someone and I feel stupid for not remembering. Oh, yeah. who. It was Leonidas Martin. Yes, right. And we had even written posts about him possibly getting picked up and nobody touched him. And I have to think that that was one of those quiet like back off guys, just let us keep him. Yeah. kind of situations yeah nobody nobody gets hurt if you guys just let us keep martin but uh yeah, you know like, he and now he's you know i think he's a minor league free agent or, well i guess technically he's a major league free agent but he's not going to get a major league contract i would assume yeah. so yeah which is too bad because he's you know he was he, he could have helped out but as it turned out you know mikey matu stepped into the void and after <laughs> jacoby jones got his face or his lips at least sheared off and uh Slip did quite right well open. yeah that was a good time Exciting time to be a Tiger center fielder. Although, yeah, you're right. I think Matek has been a pleasant surprise this season. Whether or not that's something that can be maintained is really questionable. Um, but he certainly did better than his 2016 season with the Rays. So that kind of uptick is definitely a positive. Yeah, it kind of felt like, you know, we finally, you know, he finally was healthy and you kind of got to see what a little bit more experienced Mikey Matu, who's been in the majors a few years now, well, could, that could do. Well, that got more time to play, which I think was a big deal for him. Like, instead of just getting, you know, 50 games here and there throughout a season, he really did get an extended chunk, which you're not rusty. So I think that helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, just getting the reps. And maybe, you know, maybe just getting out of the trap, you know. I mean, the poor boy needed fresh air and... You mean working on turf isn't good for you? Yeah, I know. You know, the knee injuries out there. I should make fun of the trap. I can't do I write for the Rays, and I'm an ed- a Rays editor, too. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I, I figured we'd get into the Rays at some point a little bit as well, because, yeah, because of your, like, semi, semi-divided semi loyalties. But that's It's, it's yeah, like more, definitely more Tigers-focused, but I do, do work for D-Rays Bay, too, so I have to be a kind of nice about the Rays sometimes. Yeah, I, I can be nice about the Rays, because, I you know, I... As, you know the whole organization there is just weird but they still manage to produce a good team you know just about every year and you know nobody, yeah. nobody grows pitchers better than they do you know they've got another big surplus oh. sitting there oh brandon their farm i know i mean i think you know our prospect writer uh, jay markle would pretty much just keel over and die if the tigers were somehow able to acquire brett honeywell which will never happen but it'll never happen cool. but i have this like beautiful theory and this will never happen either but this is like my off-season dream because nothing has been happening, so I've been manufacturing ideas for things that we could do in the offseason, Tigers-wise. Yeah. I really, really want to trade Ian Kinsler to the Rays. Oh, they could use Ian Kinsler. Right? And I, I guarantee you the Rays are on his no-trade list, and I guarantee <laughs> you he has no desire to play at the drop. But, like, man, sending him there, you know you'd get a quality return. He would be a great fit for their infield. He would be a great fit for their batting order. Like, I just see that trade working so beautifully for both parties. But you know he doesn't want to go there. Like, no, I don't know what his 10 teams are. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, odds are pretty good. I mean... It's just messed up. You know, hopefully they can get that sorted out because, you know, there, there's so much to like down there. Kevin Cash is a really good manager. Um, you know, Jim Hickey's gone now to the Cubs to follow his boy, Joe Madden. But, you know, they've just they've been so good at developing their own pitching. 
And they seem, you know, and they seem to manage to turn it into the bats that they need just about every year. They're just always like that little bit short. And uh, I don't know. I, I wonder if they're going to trade, if Archer is even like really under consideration to get traded. But you just look at that pitching staff with all the young guys like Jacob Feria. They still got Odorizzi. They've got Blake Snell. They've got Honeywell coming. It's just yeah. Oh. I think Odorizzi's going to get traded this off season, but you'll still have. I mean, Cobb's gone now too. So there's, but you've got the guys coming up. You're right. Like your Honeywell's Feria was great last season when he was healthy and he's got a real bright future ahead of him with that organization. So Archer is a, is, is a question mark because he's been real good, but when he's in there too long, like past seven innings or even at that seven, eight, seven inning mark, he starts to really falter. So I, I feel like they might, if they got the right return, do well to sh- get rid of Archer. Like I hate to say that. Cause he's such a cornerstone of that, that team right now. But if you can get something good that you can build on, I, I don't know why you don't do it. Yeah. It, you know, there's just so much control still left on him. You know, don't they have him until like, I don't know. It seems like they've still got like four or five more years. I think they've got him until 2020. 2019 or something. Oh, I'm on oh. spot track. It says, yeah, it says 2021. 2021. One. Oh man, you would. And he's gonna yeah, make like eight, seven, eight million dollars a year. He's gonna be making the next couple of years. That's a valuable, valuable asset. <laughs> yeah, you don't trade that unless you get something real good in return. I mean, that's like that's like us holding on to like the Tigers holding on to Fulmer longer, right? Like, I mean, yeah. at most, what's he gonna get? Eleven million in twenty twenty one with his team option. Yeah, so, with the option and bonuses and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I say I don't think the Rays are going to do anything with Archer. Yeah, if I was them, I'd hang in there because they've got all these young pitchers. And, you know, they've kind of had a habit from David Price and James Shields on to now of kind of having that one that one veteran, you know, I'll put ace in quotation marks because sometimes they're not necessarily an ace by the way I would, I would frame it. But, you know, Archer's an experienced guy. He's a smart guy. Um, he's super likable. But he's also the, just, like you said, that dude that, you know, like he, he'll go out there and strike out 10 in the first five innings and then just fall yeah. apart for an inning or two. He just, he'd be a really interesting candidate to be like that guy who pitches like every third or fourth day and you just give him like four six, innings. Yeah. You just turn him loose to just mow everybody down, you know, f- take over from one of your young starters. They'll never do well, that think, of course, but now we're slowly turning into the Tampa Bay Rays podcast, but I think they have a new pitching coach down there too. Um, like a lot of their staff got turned over this off season already. And I think that'll be interesting when you have a new pitching coach in there. Like, I want to say it's one of the guys from Durham, but don't quote me on that. I'm just pulling that right out of thin air. Yeah. I can't really recall either, but, but this, this whole conversation just does speak to kind of what we've all been going through with having to sort of find like a secondary team to root for. And everyone of course had an easy time choosing the Astros in the off or in the, uh, the postseason and watching Verlander go to work. And that was, that was great. Um, but, you know, now I'm really personally like having to come to terms with spring training without Justin Verlander. And I know it's it's going to suck. Like, I haven't I haven't really totally absorbed this yet. It's going to it's going to be worse. I think this spring It's going to be hard because, I mean, really, what were we doing? It was he got traded very end of August. So it's we missed five Verlander starts with the Tigers. Yeah, so I don't think that any of us really had an opportunity to kind of absorb how real that trade is. Because we still got to see him play, right? He's out there. He's wearing blue and he's wearing blue and orange. <laughs> and, you know, he's pitching every fifth day and he's dominating. And I think a lot of people just glommed onto that 
because it was easy to root for him and finally getting his World Series ring. But I think, yeah, you're right. Once we hit spring training, it's going to be like, okay, so the boys are back, but where's Verlander? Yeah, yeah it's going to be all the all the boys and very few of the men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because, you know, I, you got to figure they're going to find, you know, somebody's going to wise up here and trade for Ian Kinsler and maybe try to try to extend him for a year or two. Um, you know, you're still looking at one of the, if not the best defensive second baseman in the game. He, yeah, he still... should have won the gold glove this year. Oh, he absolutely should have. You know, but the gold gloves, of course, being what they are. And, you know, I can't yeah, really... It's like, I... it's like you just throw darts at boards and pick somebody. Like, they say that it has nothing to do with offensive production, but it does. And if you looked at purely defensive numbers, Kinsler should have had it far and away. But, you, you know... Eh. Yeah, which is fine, and it's just, you know, it's just that thing we're all used to having this conversation. We have this conversation about the Gold Gloves every year, and it's just, at a certain point, you you wish they would just decide, like, eh, you know, what if we just made that award what we said it was, and just made it a, def- a defensive award? <laughs> but Right? Like, yeah, it's for great defense, except we factor in, like, all of this other stuff now. So, it's really just who we decide to pick that year. Yep. Yep, who's the, who's the hotness at second base? And obviously this year it was Altuve, and, you know, I, I've got no beef with Jose Altuve winning any any awards that they want to give him because uh, the, the guy is just incredible. It's just, it's yeah, just bananas to see such a little guy play this good. The Brian Dozier won it this year. Oh, my God, that's right. It yeah, was Dozier. Dozier won the gold glove. <laughs> that's why it was even worse. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it wasn't even, like, Dustin Pedroia was the other third finalist. I could almost, like, I mean, Pedroia, I think, has won it something insane, like, four or five times. Yeah. But, like, yeah, Kinsler had it above them, which makes me a little crazy. But, you know, like, Brian Dozier. Uh, I know. You know, and then, you know, Paul Molitor won Manager of the Year. So, yeah, the Twins did pretty well in the in the awards category. It's weird. It's like they were kind of treated as, like, ah, they weren't expected to do anything, and they made this nice little run. But to anybody like else looking, it's like this is the team that's you know this is the team that's building and and up and coming. You know they've got a lot of pretty good young talent there. It's not yeah, your Buxton's, shot. And your Ke- your Kepler's and your yeah Jose Barrios. You know they've got a yeah. little ace in the making. Maybe they've got Miguel Sano crushing dingers at third and getting into fights with James McCann. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when I think back over the season, like the things that actually stand out to me are, are mostly those those incidents, like <laughs> Jacoby Jones getting hit in the face and McCann and Sano squaring off, and then the uh, the Miggy brawl with uh, Austin Romine. Yeah, those those are kind of like the high points of the season for me. Which just really says something about the season that like the things that stopped a game were were the most exciting moments. I know, save us from this Tigers baseball, please take us away from all this death. <laughs> oh. but speaking of that, I thought it was really funny. I don't know who posted it. Um, it was uh, a Jamer Candelario posted an off-season workout video, and he he tagged it in Spanish, but I totally mispronounced. Like I misinterpreted like the thing, but it meant like the dead season. Oh yeah. He's like work never stops in the dead season was the translation. Um, so that's my new favorite term for the off-season is just calling it the dead season. The dead zone. Yeah. Whereas initially we were all like. Um... What is he saying? Like he's going to work till he's till he drops? Is that, yeah, I thought like <laughs> he was temporarily dead from a hard workout or something. Because temporada, I totally forgot meant season, um, and not temporary. Yeah, or some kind of a dune thing where you know fear is the little death that you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, I can go into the litany against fear. We won't. We won't do that. This could We're turn into a like Dune podcast too. Dune podcast, and then I'll be really out of my depth. Oh, too bad. Because yeah, I, I could talk about Dune quite a bit. <laughs> That's one of my favorite books. No, I'm, I'm shocked. 
I know. I know. You know what's weird though is I, you know, I'm not like a sci-fi guy at all. I was like, I went to school to be a, you know, a super snobby literature nerd, and you know, I've got yep. that side down there as well. But I have an English literature degree as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So right. if people want to ask questions about, you know, about books or you know about Proust and Kafka and whatnot, feel free to to mix those in next week. The meter of Emily Dickinson. Oh, oh, scintillating, scintillating podcast material. <laughs> I know people will be thrilled. Yeah, we'll come back every week. But okay, let's go back to Kinsler though, because if if you had to to guess right now, who who do you think Ian Kinsler is going to end up getting traded to? I think it's going to be the Brewers. Mm, yeah, that's a good choice. And I would yeah, love to get in their farm system. The Angels are really the two most logical. And see, that's where it's tough because I mean, if I were him, I'd rather go to Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, he and uh, he and Justin Upton are pretty good friends. Um, it seems yeah. like. And, and it's the, hard to say because I mean, with with what the Angels are doing now, I feel like they could really make something next year, especially now that they've signed up into an extension and get a guy like Kinsler in there at second base because they don't really have anybody at second that is even worth remarking on. Yeah, and it's the same at third base, which is why a lot of people think Mustakas might go out that way. And maybe if they maybe if they sign Mustakas and something broke here, which nothing has broken in, in free agency or anywhere else so far. Man, really. it's Stanton. Stanton's holding everything up. Yeah, and possibly Otani, too. But, I, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, Kinsler in Los Angeles makes sense to me. Um, I just wonder about that team. I, you know, the, the pitching there is so is still so fragile, it seems to me. Like, they managed to kind of cobble together that bullpen last year, but... I don't know if I don't know if he's going to quite view them as enough of a contender to go there or not. And but that, the Brewers would that, be interesting. That's a big factor. You're right. I think it's going to him. He's going to look at it less as a location thing, because I mean, no matter where you go, half of the year you're on the road anyway. Yeah. And I, I think he's really going to look at it in terms of which team can really build that that winning year. And the Brewers and the Angels both had a good year. The Brewers, I think, surprised everybody. Yeah. And I, I think that they could put something together. And I think Kinsler would be a really big piece of that. Yeah, it seems like that's the kind of guy that they should be looking for at this point. Because the farm system is stacked. You know, a lot of people, you know, did kind of think like, hey, you know, there's an outside chance, you know, they could make a make a wild card this year. Um, and they were pretty good in the first half while Eric Kames was mashing dingers everywhere. But, um, and that was fun. But yeah, you know, I, that does seem like the right move for them is to get a, you know, an experienced kind of hard-nosed veteran guy in there who can kind of like show people the ropes, keep people motivated. Because um, even Kinsler himself wasn't motivated in the second half playing with the Tigers, as he said, which is hard to believe. I mean, that tells you how bad it is when Ian Kinsler is kind of like, eh, you know, I love to play the game. I'm going out there. But yeah, you know, the, like the energy wasn't quite there. Um, yeah. It's a bad feeling. You could tell that from a lot of them. I mean, even before Verlander was traded, he he was making some statements to the press that were like, you know, as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep going out there and trying to win. But you definitely didn't get that vibe of, yeah, we're here and we're excited to play. And I mean, it's tough to get that excitement when you're going towards a 100-loss season. And I mean, they didn't quite do that badly, but it it was tough to watch it all because and even afterwards, Kinsler said some stuff about how he would stick around for a rebuild. And I totally think he would, but at the heart of him, I think he wants to go to a team that has that competition and that drive to actually do well. Yeah. And I think you'd see much better performance out of him in that environment. 
I think, yeah, I think so too. He, you know, the, the thing about Kinsler is that he's probably, I mean, he's held up extremely well um, physically. You know, he's still one of the best athletes or he still was one of the best athletes on the team this year. And he kind of had, you know, he had those groin strain issues early in the season and he did play in the World Baseball Classic, which for an older player, you know, seems like it might be a little bit, you know, kind of an extra kind of wearing factor as the season goes on. And, you, you know, you kind of started playing really hard earlier in the year than everybody else did. So I could easily see yep. him bouncing back, yeah, and, you know, and having another good year or two. And then maybe, yeah, when he's, you know, 38, 39, maybe he takes a year where, okay, he's going to be just like the veteran mentor, Carlos Beltran type He'll guy. be the Tory Hunter. Yeah, screaming at everybody on the bench and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Far less smiley and man, way more trolly, yeah. Can't wait for grouchy old man Kinsler to be sitting on the bench, spitting his seeds. Yeah, he's already halfway there. I know he's a, he's a salty he's a salty man, Ian Kinsler. I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, he's yeah he's been a lot of fun. You know, when we traded for him, you know, like my impressions of him were just kind of about who he was as a player. Um, and yeah, it's it's been really it's been really fun having Ian Kinsler on the Tigers. Um, he's just been that that one guy who's just like you just know he's just kind of a savage out there and wants to win and super gritty. He's the grit master. Yeah, he's old school. He's like he's like vintage gamer. Like he could easily be plopped on a field in like 1930 and fit right in with those guys. Yeah, Ian Kinsler could walk out of the cornfield. Yep, and and just yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> start taking hacks immediately for sure. Yeah. All right. So the other, you know, the other topic as far as trades go, you know, I I keep hearing this on the site, um, and I know, you know, I talked to a lot of people on Twitter. Um, I talked to some of the the Detroit media and stuff, and I don't really see any any reason to think that Michael Fulmer is getting going to get traded, but do you think that's something that the Tigers should do this off season? Or do you think that's something to consider down the road? I mean, we've still got five years of control on him at this point and you never know that could get us back into, you know, the time when the Tigers are good again, hopefully. I had a lot of flack for writing a post about this, Brent. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't bring I this up for no reason. <laughs> very specifically that I think it's a stupid idea to trade Michael Fulmer right now. Now with the caveat, because people apparently read that headline and decided not to read the article um, that yes, they'd be stupid not to listen, but I hate this concept that you trade a current Michael Fulmer for the projected concept of three Michael Fulmers down the road. Like Fulmer is under contract until 2021, I think. And like, why, why would you dump a guy who's just building into how good he could be when he will still be under team control by the time that we're hoping to be competitive again. Yep. I totally agree. Actually. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's always the caveat, you know, like, okay, if the Yankees call and offer us like Glaber Torres, Clint Frazier, two more good prospects, like, okay, fine. And in that unreasonable situation, then yeah, maybe you think about it, but I agree. One, one Michael Fulmer in the hand is better than three Michael Fulmers in the bush. Yes. Uh, and I think, and yeah, like I said, it's, you have to listen. And I think Alavila knows that to not listen means you're not getting the offers that you might want down the road. And it'll also let him know who teams are willing to talk about, which is good. Yeah. Because knowing that helps down later months, like towards the next trade deadlines when he's like, all right, well, I know, you know, the Dodgers are willing on these three guys. And I know these teams have offered up this before. So he knows and he's playing it smart. But I think unless like, the skies open up and you get offered, you know, two top 10 guys and a couple of like, you know, double A players, you don't 
take that trade. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, people just have to realize, like, as, as fun as it's been to watch Michael Fulmer, there's still, you know, there's still issues with him beyond, like, the, the surgery he had, which is just to, to the nerve transposition surgery to move the nerve, which, as far as surgeries go, is as minor as it gets for a pitcher's arm. It's not a big deal. But he's still a guy who hasn't really shown the ability to strike a lot of people out. And, you know, advanced, you know, advanced organizations are going to look at that and still kind of wonder if he's going to find that strikeout touch. And if he's still going to be able to kind of keep the ball in the yard when he's given up as much contact as he does. Um, I mean, right now I'd kind of argue that he throws hard enough and has such a nasty pair of fastballs that guys get themselves out early in counts a lot of the time. And maybe that's part of the reason why the strikeouts aren't there. But he still kind of has like that hard slider that isn't really, it doesn't really break quite enough to be like a, a legit swing and miss pitch all the time. And I think, you know, I'd rather see him kind of come in and, and work with Chris Bazio, the new pitching coach, and kind of see if maybe he can get a little bit of that going. If he can put together another 200 inning strong season, then maybe you can kind of start to leverage those huge prospect packages. But I just, yeah, I just can't see how you're going to get those kind of offers right now for a guy who didn't have the, you know, the best of years, even though, you know, it was only his second year in the league. But, um, you know, it just doesn't feel like he's at max value. And that's what it comes down to is, you know, trading guys when their their value is at the, at the peak. Yeah. Which brings me to Nick Castellanos, because he's another one in that sort of band who's, you know, he's young enough to possibly still be a part of the Tigers' future three or four years down the road when they've hopefully got things turned around. But I, I get the feeling a lot of people kind of feel like the Tigers should cash him in as well for, you know, the next, you know, probably Dowell Lugo type, you know, sort of 45 future value, not really a future, you know, major league regular probably type prospect. And I just... I don't really see the point there either, which I wrote earlier in the year that they should extend him, you know, for that reason and try to wait till he gets into his prime. I I care so little about what the Tigers do with Nick Castellanos. (laughs) Like I'm, as long as they get him off third, really that's, and the move of him out into, to right field makes a lot of sense. Um, he was just such a disaster defensively that it really put a damper on any kind of like offensive streaking that he did. Yeah. And because it, it made his any value he had at bat really suffer because of just how bad he was at third base. Yeah, and it wasn't like the kind of like, oh, that was kind of a tough play. It was just, you know, way too many times, just like a complete, you know, he actually, you know, Nick Castellanos occasionally would make a really nice play, like bare hand pick. But then the you'd be like, oh my God, he actually knows how to play baseball. Like it was like. And then you just like, flat out whiff a grounder right, right yeah, past him. It was him. so staggering that you'd be like, what did I just see? Like, is this a miracle? And how? Like, and then it would just fall apart an inning later. And, like, honestly, I feel like my animosity towards Nick Castellanos <laughs> would fade entirely if we would just put him out in right field, let him hit, you know, you know 37 dingers in a season, and just leave him there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, let I that know. be the Nick Castellanos story. You know, I think you know people are happy, definitely happy to see him off third, and you know, putting him in right field. Yeah, I mean, seems like the safest, safest bet. You know, one of the interesting things that came out is that you know Nick Castellanos is, I think he was he actually ranked faster than Cameron Maben this year in in Statcast sprint speed, and so you'd think like he's got you know he's got the running ability you know to play in the outfield and be fine, but he's just baseball is just such a weird game and the dichotomy between the hand-eye coordination involved in playing defense versus yeah. hitting just sometimes doesn't make any sense. Like you would just think like, 
you know, Jose Iglesias can just sit there all day and wait for your best pitch because he can get his bat on anything, and he just can't. He can't wait for your best pitch. He's going to just no. flail at anything because he can put the bat on it. And, you know, Nick, you know, hits more line drives than anybody, you know, has this, like, great contact profile that I do think eventually is going to gonna produce 30, 35 home runs a year. And I would like to have that bat even as a DH, you know, down the road because, you know, oh, we yeah. all... He's, def- he's got future DH stamps all over him. He does, yep. The problem is the Tigers have a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, we've got quite a few. Kristen Stewart Christian is coming. Stewart. Yep. You've got Miguel Cabrera. Like, these are guys that are, are going to be, you know, vying for that DH spot. But I think the reason that Nick is going to do really well out and right is you got to look at somebody like J.D. Martinez. And a lot of – because J.D. is also not a great defensive player. And that becomes really obvious Yeah, <laughs> when you see him. But look at he's going to get paid over $150 million this offseason to play somewhere where he'll ultimately probably end up being a DH one day, like Boston, mm-hmm. um, where they need the next, you know, you know, David Ortiz. And so if, if somebody like JD, who's also terrible defensively, can really shine there, and I'm not saying Nick is nearly as good offensively as JD Martinez, but I think he's going to do a lot better for himself in a position where his terrible defense is not going to be the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. It's, and it's just gotta be so hard, you know, to go out there and just bomb defensively at third base, you know, get defensively replaced in close games and then have to kind of keep going back out there and doing it day after day and then get up there and believe in yourself as a hitter. Um, you know, I think, you know, there, there's some impressive resiliency there, I think in Nick and I, I, I'm going to try to be optimistic that he can at least, you know, not be a disaster in right field because I do believe in Nick Castellanos as a hitter. And I, I think at some point down the road, we are going to look at him as, as a pretty similar hitter to J.D. Martinez, like a guy who still strikes out yeah. 20% of the time or more. Uh, maybe hopefully we'll learn to draw a few more walks as he hits for power and pitchers get a little bit more scared of him. But yeah, I could see Nick hitting 35, 40, especially if you move him yeah. to Arizona. I mean, God, J.D. Martinez was... A, I mean, he was a monster here, but when he was, man, I watched him in Arizona quite a bit, and it was terrifying. Every ball he hit in the air went out. It just seemed like he could not miss. Yeah, he was a monster. And I think, too, changing the defensive position will make him more appealing trade-wise later on down the road. Yeah, you don't have to worry about where are we going to put him. Yeah, if you don't choose to keep a guy like that, that at least if you put him somewhere where his flaws are less obvious, then his offensive production becomes the thing that people see more. And it definitely it creates more of a market for him later on. Yeah, which is why I, I really would like to make the bet on him right now and extend him for like five years at like 10, maybe 12 million a year if you had to do it. Just just so that when that bet does come, and I'm going to just bet on him, you know, being able to play a decent right field and hope that, you know, if he if he's able to do that, you've got him for five years control pretty cheap. And if that bat really does turn into that, then suddenly you've got a, a much more valuable commodity than just selling JD for you know, two and a half months, which as we saw, and however you want to feel about Alavila's handling of it, you know, we didn't really get a whole lot back. You know, Lugo is probably going to be in, you know, kind of a fringy second baseman, maybe a utility infielder that can hit a bit. Um, but, you know, that's that's not really an impact player. So, yeah, we didn't really get what we were hoping there. Although they did very well in the Justin Verlander trade, I think, which kind of helps alleviate some of that, hopefully. Yeah, and I think with the the Justin Wilson Alex Avila trade, we did pretty darn well with that too. Yeah, especially considering how Wilson did with the Cubs after that trade. Yeah, I mean he just absolutely bombed. <laughs> it was bad. 
And actually, Alex Avila didn't really play all that well for them either. Um, he didn't really get a lot of opportunity to, though. He wasn't in a lot. Like, he was very much relegated behind Wilson Contreras to yeah, that's true. being that, that second string guy. So I think that didn't help his situation at all. Um, and he was, he was always going to cool. Yeah, he was always going to cool down somewhat. I mean, he, he was murdering the ball the whole first half, and it was glorious. Yeah. I mean, like, what? Okay, here's my question because I know you're going to say no, and I just want to bring it up. Do we re-sign him? Oh, I would say yes, actually. But I, yeah. I don't like, I don't like James McCann behind the plate. I just don't. <laughs> no, I don't either. And I think you know, people think I hate James McCann. I don't hate James McCann. I actually predicted last year, you know, by looking at his contact profile, like he's, you know, he's got more to offer offensively, and I think he kind of showed some of that this year, but. He's just not the guy that I think is is strong enough behind the plate and in terms of game calling and stuff to really build around. And I and I kind of worry that he he kind of hurts our pitchers and some of the the development of some of our younger pitchers as well. Um, I don't know. I know James McCann is probably a savage and works super hard at his framing and his blocking. Um, so maybe you know maybe things will come come along. But you know he had Brad Osmus as his manager, you know, for three years and he didn't really seem to make much progress behind the plate. So I'm not optimistic there at all. I'm very, very happy that the Tigers got Jake Rogers in that Verlander deal. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't like uh, McCann as a framing pitcher, as a framing catcher for pitchers. I don't think, I think that you could almost, and I, I don't have the patience to break it down, but I think if you compare games that Avila caught versus games that McCann caught, it would make a very interesting breakdown yeah. of how the pitchers did yeah. in those games yeah and it, you know and it is it is really hard to judge that and that's why it's it's hard to write like a you know a definitive article kind of on that topic i mean i can just quote you know like their their framing numbers all day and you know alex avila is not that good a framer either but he's just got so much more experience back there he's just just smoother behind the plate still for me at this point and yeah i'd, I'd like to get him back and see if you know he takes the off season you know, starts feeling strong, gets that, you know, gets that Alex Avila swole going and get the big beard. Yep. Gets the super dark, you know, like light <laughs> it eating beard going in the spring and just, you know, hits the crap out of the ball. Yeah. And then we just, you know, and then we just trade him for another Heimer Condelario. I, I just, I love that idea of bringing Alex Avila back through the beginning of every season and then trading him at the July deadline if he does well. Yep. I know, you know, I saw Alex Avila and JD Martinez uh, always in the off season seem to be fishing down off Miami and I know Alex yeah. is a, a fisherman as well. And you know Alex Avila can just be, you know, he's just our chum. You know, we just we put him out there, <laughs> he looks tasty, you know, the first half and then you just reel in another fat prospect with him every year. I I think his boat is even called the off season or something like that. Like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Something goofy about like an off season. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, still love that guy. So, yeah, you know, the only other really things to watch, you know, until kind of this, this whole free agent quandary kind of or dam breaks and we start seeing some movement is, you know, the Tigers did a couple things. They signed some minor league free agents. They got Ryan Carpenter and Kevin Comer, who are two pitchers that I really liked as far as minor league free agents go, which is kind of a shallow pool. But so they, they got those guys and then we're going to have, you know, the first selection of the Rule 5 draft. So in another week or two, you know, we'll be ramping up, you know, who we should should take in that. But um other than that, we're just gonna, we're going to end up waiting for the leavings. Um, to, to go back to the fishing metaphor, you know, we're just going to be you know picking the the random bits of flesh out of the water after all the sharks have fed. <laughs> yeah, little, little floaty bits. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually surprised. I honestly, I was rooting for the tigers to pick up Doug Fister again. Like, 
I really like the idea of the team getting a couple of old school Tigers players back in the mix. Yeah. Not particularly because I think they'll do great things for the team, but I think even just from a butts in seats perspective, having players whose names you recognize starting every couple of days or, you know, throw a Granderson out in center field or, you know, bring back one of those guys. I think from a fan perspective, it's going to do so much in the way of making up for these names that nobody knows. Yeah. And kind of down seasons just to have a guy that you can like whose jersey you already have in your closet you know yeah at least yeah someone that that people can can kind of recognize and root for um you know it is going to be a tough go and that is the kind of thing the tigers probably are going to have to think about a little bit um it'll be interesting to see what attendance is like next year because i know it you know it cratered at the end of last year and it and it was down a lot um this season i don't really know if it can go much lower um, without, you know, another couple really bad years going by, but um, you know, they're, they're going to put it to the test. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. All yeah. I can say is I was, I was sitting behind home plate, you know, in September for like 15 bucks. And that was, you know, that was kind of awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it's great, but you, but like, then you got poor Alavila's writing these letters to season ticket holders going, please, please, God, don't drop your season tickets. We need you. Um, it's, it's sad. It's, you look at like what they broke, insane like three million attendance yeah. for two or three years in a row yep and now they're going to be like stub hubbing tickets for six bucks a pop yeah it is it's it's sad i mean i can't really say i feel particularly bad for the tigers or chris Illich or, or alavila but just for the whole organization and the fans yeah it's it's this is just such a you know a tough time to go through after you know a whole decade where like every year you thought like okay you know, there's a, there's a chance if we just come up with that right, you know, combination of bullpen arms or this guy, you know, comes up from the minors and works out. That's, you know, that's it. We've, we've got a chance. And um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be going to be a few years until we, uh, we get back to that point, at least. Although I'm, I don't know, I'm probably a little more optimistic than some are about that. Obviously, a lot of people are just flat out just mad and everything the Tigers do is idiotic and the Tigers, you know, deserve all the suffering in the world, you know, and, <laughs> and, that, and that crowd is going to just have to take some time to kind of like, you know, vent their spleen and kind of get over it. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll just be mad for a long, I mean, there's always going to be the, the rowdies on Twitter yelling about everything. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, I know I'm with you. I think 2020, 2021, I, I think there's a solid chance. I don't think we're going to see it in 18 or 19. Yeah. But like I, I've got a good feeling about 2020, Brandon. Yeah, so do I. I, I like a lot of the guys in the farm, and I, you know, I know we need a couple bats, and obviously we need a middle infield, and that's that's kind of where the weakness is, um, you know. And they traded for Isaac Paredes, who's a pretty good-looking hitting prospect who plays shortstop, but his, he's probably not going to stick there either. But you know, the Tigers' payroll is going to be really low. You know, you can always add that one piece that you need in free agency, assuming yeah. Chris Illich will spend at least a reasonable amount, which I believe he will when the time is right. So yeah, you know, you signed Verlander in 2020, you know, maybe you signed Carlos Correa in 2021, 22, <laughs> whatever that is. Now yeah, I, I do see Verlander coming back. I do too. Actually. I absolutely see him finishing his career with the Tigers in like two or three years. Yeah. I, I, I believe that that will happen. I hope I'm not disappointed there. Cause I, I would really like that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Verlander was still like a reasonably good pitcher till he's 42. Um, he's got a, you know, he's got a slider now, which is really good that he never had before. And so even when the velocity starts to fall, yeah, you know, he's learned a lot. He he may still be able to kind of battle through these things. If Bartolo Colon can pitch till he's 42, 
I got to think, uh, or 43 or four or whatever yeah. Bartolo is. I think we should sign him next year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that would be fun, you know, just, just for the heck of it. And then just try to flip him at the, flip him at the deadline. If he's, you know, I have, I have a philosophy about Bartolo Cologne. as a whole plan. He should hire me as his manager. <laughs> I think that like the, so between him and major league baseball, they should arrange it so that he can pitch for every single team next year. Oh yeah. Yes. And so then he can retire at the end of the season, having pitched for every team in baseball. Yeah, and then they just present him with like a golden suitcase with every team's sticker kind of stamped yeah. on it, like old something like that. Yeah, exactly. steamer trunk situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my thing. I think that there should be a Bartolo Colon farewell tour, and that he should get to pitch for every single team. Yep, I like it. I like this idea. I'll just kind of pass him around that like a like a tchotchke. Sounds like we need viewership numbers up. Why not? Yep. You know, and people, you know, people love Bartolo. People out there listening to the podcast right now are just like, oh, God, please don't don't you dare bring Bartolo Colon back. But sometimes when you write about baseball for, okay, a very slender portion of your living, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you just, you need some grist for the mill. And, you know, right now there's just like, oh, there's just nothing interesting. There's I mean, nothing. I wish, I need like Daniel Norris, like getting, you know, attacked and fighting off a great white shark while surfing. You know, like something like that needs to happen, you know, fairly shortly before we all go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so boring. Like today I got excited because Jason Kipnis posted a bunch of like stories on his Instagram feed about keeping a woman from walking into traffic. Like this is the excitement of my off season is that like Jason Kipnis might be a hero. Uh, Yep. Yep. I know. And you would love that. I'm curious about Jason Kipnis. Actually. I'm very curious to see like how teams kind of look at him after seeing him play center field a bit. And, you know, knowing that, like, he has, like, that Ryan Rayburn, like, up-down thing where every other year he's he's awesome and then he just kind of goes in the tank for a year. It's kind of yeah. weird. So I'm curious. I'm very curious to see where the, Mr. Kipnis winds up. I'm mostly curious about this Royals, like, exodus. Yeah. Because you got, like, Moustakis and you got Hosmer and nothing is happening. And I really... I. I worried for Hosmer that the start of the 2017 season was really going to put a damper on his future prospects. Mm, yeah. It was a rough like the Royals did so bad at the start of the season last year. And I thought that with those guys hitting free agency at the end of the season, that none of them were going to get what they thought they were going to get. Yeah. And I also expected, yeah, that, you know, most of them would get traded at the deadline and instead they, they didn't trade anyone. Yeah. But I don't think, I think Cosmer was like laughably looking for a 10-year contract, and that's <laughs> definitely not happening at this point. Yeah, it has been really fun and hilarious listening to Scott Boris like up up his like heroic, epic poet-style rhetoric about uh, Eric Cosmer and J.D. Martinez and how they deserve, you know, $200 million and all the, all this stuff so far. I, I, I really don't know what to think about that. Things are so stalled I, right now, I, but I, I know they're not getting that much. No, I want to give Scott Boris his own talk show. I know, Scott Boris might as well. You know, the the funny thing, too, is that people hate Scott Boris, and I don't care in the slightest. You know, like, I want the players. I'd rather have the players, you know, earn the money than the owners get it. Um, You know, the day the owners decide that if they can cut their payroll, they'll lower ticket prices, I'll start rooting against Scott Boris. But until that (laughs) point, I just, I don't really care, you know. He's just just sort of an entertaining sideshow. Yeah, he's just a weird little number magician who can make insane contracts appear. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, like, some of the pitches that he must make. Like, you know, Eric Hosmer has never graded out well defensively. He rarely has, has even been a plus, you know, a, a strongly plus hitter. 
Um, he, you know, he had a really good year this year um, by the time it wrapped up. But, you know, Eric Hosmer doesn't really have the track record, and especially as a first baseman, to, to bring more than, like, you know, five years, $18 million per, like a 590 deal. And he's asking, you know, $200 million. It seems like on the, on the basis that, well, he won a, he won a world series and he's imbued with, you know, special grit magic and you know. <laughs> special world series magic. I think Boris is still high on the Max Scherzer deal <laughs> and believes that he can make that happen every time. I think that is honestly, he's just like, look, I made this happen once. Yeah. Look at this miracle I performed. Yeah. Although that like, didn't turn out to be a miracle. That turned out to be very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that turned out to be the Nats going, all right, we were worried about this for a second. Uh, but now we've got this back-to-back Cy Young winner in our midst who is just dominant. Yep. I know Max, is, Max has been incredible there. And, you know, I'm, like, kind of happy for him, but I also always have had, like, a weird, like, you know, I'm, like, I'm the world's biggest Verlander homer. Like, that's my favorite baseball player of all time. So I always kind of, like, when Max was – starting to take over from Verlander a little bit. I was always a little bit like, <laughs> I was always resistant. So I've always kind of like, your sister starts getting prettier. Yeah, exactly. I just couldn't quite, I could never quite love him as much as Verlander. So, but I've been happy, happy for him to do well. Yeah. Absolutely. I was a huge Scherzer fan. Huge. But then I also knew that he was going to get traded. So when I bought my Scherzer Jersey, I got the all-star version so I got like the all-star game Scherzer jersey. So I had something that would still translate. Oh, well hilarious. Yeah, you thought ahead. Yeah, I yeah. guess I guess there was no chance at that point. Yeah, like once he passed on the offer, you know, before the season, um, you know, Mike Illich was probably, you know, I assume waxed sorely pissed about that and not going to make him a bigger offer. Yeah, and, it was a he screwed up there. Yep, he screwed up right there. We could have kept this thing going. Yeah, I'm sure Max Scherzer would have been the one piece. Not the <laughs> fact that we had him and Porcello and Verlander and Price and good Annabelle Sanchez in 2013, and we still didn't win anything. I know. It's just that, you know, then we went right back out and spent the money on Jordan Zimmerman and Mike Pelfrey and Justin Upton anyway. So, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> water under the bridge now, I guess. You have to I wait mean, a couple years. Know, if the Nationals are listening and they would like a Jordan Zimmerman back, yeah. we are the Tigers are more than welcome to be open to that trade. Yeah. Rob, Rob leapt on that rumor very quickly. And that, that post hit the site almost the instant I saw the Nick Cafardo yeah. rumor. <laughs> but, uh, like, yes, please, please take him back. Right. Exactly. Like quick, write this article before Nick Cafardo retracts that statement. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, I was totally mistaken. I don't know. That sounds crazy. I'm sorry. I don't know who wants Jordan's ever been. Probably nobody. It's fine. It's fine. He probably meant Ryan Zimmerman and everyone was just like, oh, let's write a post about this anyway. Yep, exactly. So, all right. So, you know, next week, you know, we'll be getting closer to the Rule 5 draft. Maybe we'll start talking a little bit more about that. And we'll probably start talking about the coaching staff here a little bit as we start to get a little bit closer, at least to like Tiger Fest and those guys actually making some appearances in public. But um, the last thing I really wanted to get into was, um, you know, the two big stories that we're all kind of waiting for to hit is uh, Giancarlo Stanton to, to be traded probably, and for Shohei Otani to decide where he wants to go. And I'm gonna, let's take Otani first. Um, I mean, the whole situation is interesting because he's not going to be paid very much. I mean, the collective bargaining agreement and the, the international bonus pool money, that you know that whole system that's been put in place is going to limit him to like $3.53 million max. And there's only three teams, I think, that even have more than $3 million, and it's the Twins, Rangers, and Yankees. But... As it turns out, it probably doesn't matter at all because um, for anybody who's seen, you know, Lost in Translation or knows anything about Japanese culture, 
Um, you know, celebrities endorsing products is still a massive deal in Japan, and Shohei Otani is going to have no trouble leveraging his his fame here, particularly if he goes to New York, which is one of the reasons why I fear that's going to happen, but leveraging that into just, you know, a fortune aside from baseball. So he can kind of pick wherever he goes. Do you, do you think that this is going to happen? Do you think he's going to end up with the Yankees or is it going to be a little more interesting than that? Hopefully. I know how I want it to play out. I kind of like him to go to Seattle. I kind of want him to go to Tampa. Oh, well, sure. Well, no, I know. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. Tampa already has a player in their organization who both pitches and is an offensive powerhouse. Um, so they already have the experience with a guy like that. And I also think that like the temperature and like a smaller market where he can be the big star Mm. may actually be appealing to him as well. Like, it's hard to say. And I, I, it's like a one in a bajillion chance that he signs with Tampa, but I do like the idea. Um, cause I, I think either that or I honestly, I think he almost at one point out of high school had an agreement going with the Dodgers. Um, And I think that kind of market would also be fairly appealing. I think what it comes down to is it's not going to be money in the end that wins him over. Yeah, It's not going to be who can pay the biggest amount going out of that initial pool. It's going to be who convinces him that they're the home to be in for the long run. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be where he's most comfortable, where they're going to be able to adapt to him playing two positions the most. Um, I've never, I mean, I've never seen anything like that questionnaire that his agent is circulating to teams to make them kind of write like a, a homework essay. about. You know what it reminded me of? There was this great post on Reddit um, last year where this guy has a new baby and he sends letters out to every single one of the 30 teams, <laughs> basically asking them to audition for why they should be his son's new favorite team. Ah. And it was really interesting to see the work that some teams put into that. Like, I think the Nationals sent this baby a gift basket. Like, whereas, <laughs> it's like, it's like, here's a onesie that you can wear. And like, you know, we'll look forward to having you at games. And here's the reasons. And it was signed by like, the manager. Like, <laughs> at the time. It was incredible. Wow, that is bizarre. Know, basic form letters that are like we don't feel the need to like convince people to become fans <laughs> and some people didn't reply at all right we're too cool for that you know yeah so i thought that i think it's, it's going to feel very similar to that except it's going to be teams tripping over themselves to convince this guy to come and play for them ah god i would just give anything to read those replies oh i know i would love to read those it, it would really be epic you know, and the thing is, too, you'd also really get, like, a lot of insight into how each organization kind of kind of sees itself. And because we've been very bored this offseason, like, I'm I'm parsing all this minutia about, like, the Tigers coaching staff and, like, the analytics department and all this kind of stuff. And it would just yeah, be really kind of a way of, like, really getting, like, a view. Yeah. Like, how do they think about themselves and what do they think they could do with, with Otani, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think it's that's what it's going to come down to. I think it's going to be who can make the case the best way that that he'll be a good fit for the culture of the team. And in that sense, I don't know that I think the Yankees are going to be the right fit. I think you're onto something with the Mariners. I think the Mariners would be a good, a good spot for him. I think the Dodgers would just be absolute like nightmare. Cause they're also in the running, I think pretty high up for Stanton. Yep. 
And oh, can you imagine oh. the Dodgers organization with Otani, Stanton, Bellinger, like Seeger? Yep. <laughs> oh yep. And then they got, you know, they got Walker Bueller coming. So they've got You're another really good young pitcher. Like the pitching staff. Like. Yep. And you know what's crazy about Dodgers this is that, that you know. Oh, yeah. I know. It's just like, doom for everyone, isn't it? It's just like, just give them the 2018 World Series right now. I know. I mean, maybe, you know, you never know. Like, maybe he won't be as good as, as everyone thinks he will be, at least right away. But, oh, that would that would just be painful. I mean, that would just lock them in as the, as the favorites next year. Absolutely. Especially yeah. if they added Stanton to it, which I think, you know, I read a couple things earlier that that's, and, and it doesn't really sound like the kind of move that, that Freeman and Javi kind of, like, they just don't spend money like that. Like, I, I really think that, that that's not as likely as some people do just because of the, the size of that salary. But, oh, my God, if they had both of them. And then what would that – that would mean, like, what, Puig to, to Miami or something like that, along with a, Probably. Or like a some prospects, team. obviously. Yeah. Something that – yeah, Puig would get moved for sure, I think. Because um, he's – I mean, Puig, your, your favorite, but, like – Puig, my friend. Where does he fit in the future of the team, right? He never quite became what they wanted him to be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's tough. I, very interesting to see how that plays. I think you're right. I think the Stanton contract's just going to be too big of a bite for them. Um, but where do you see him ending up? Stanton right now. <sighs> yeah. Where does Stanton go? I mean, I still think like the Cardinals are the team that that seems to me like they most kind of have to have him. Like it, it also feels like the kind of move that Dave Dombrowski like loves to make, but I'm not sure that the uh, I the, see Martinez going to the Red Sox. Yeah, I, I could see JD going to the Red Sox, and I could still see Hosmer going there as well. Um, Stanton, I just I don't see. What, the first thing is like I like Giancarlo Giancarlo Stanton. He's super fun to watch, but. He, I, I wouldn't judge him based on this year. Like Giancarlo Stanton's a really good player, but is he like a lot better player than JD Martinez? I don't really, I don't really feel that. Like you know, no. in another year or two, when Giancarlo Stanton's knees kind of give out and he's not as, you know, he loses a little bit of speed, they're gonna look pretty similar. So yeah, I mean, it just seems smarter to me. Like if your farm system's already kind of spent the way the Red Sox largely have spent theirs since Dombrowski got there, yeah, why not just spend the money? You know, just sign JD. Or, and sign like Carlos Santana, who I think is the the real sleeper of the off season that a lot of people aren't aren't looking at. Like if if I was even considering Hosmer, I would immediately like slap myself and just go sign Carlos Santana for a lot less money. Yeah, but I totally think that that Stanton's what's holding all of this up because nobody's going to move on Martinez until they know where Stanton's going, and nobody's going to move. You know, it's just a stack. Yeah, and it's all log jammed behind that Stanton deal right now. But apparently now the org, now that I just read this earlier today, that the org is basically telling him, take the deal or we'll put you on a losing team. Yep. Yeah. Like they basically said straight up, take whatever trade we offer, or we're just going to trade everybody else on the team and you'll be the only person left. Yeah. And so far, like, I mean, uh, you know, Derek Jeter is just getting killed, you know, just getting killed daily on Twitter because it just seems like. You know, he's taken over this team, and so far, like the communication level that that has been on display has been horrific. You know, um, you, you know, you don't talk to your you know your star player, especially one that you're trying to get to accept a deal, 
you know, on those terms. Like the man already put up with, you know, Jeffrey Loria as his owner and yeah, well, for whatever and like, reason committed there for, and, you know, signed this huge deal because it was so big he couldn't resist it. And now you're going to, you know, kind of like try to force him out, you know, like that just seems like, you know, just yeah. to, for those things to even to get into public tells me, you know, that, yeah, Derek Jeter and, and his his staff have a lot to learn about how well, these yeah, things work. like saying that he hadn't even reached out to talk to Stanton. Yeah, isn't um, that the first conversation you have when you take over yeah, the Marlins? Yeah, you're trying to convince that guy to say, or you're like, look, here's what we're going to do, but we want to make sure you're happy with where you go. Like, we don't want to burn any bridges. But, like, I think my favorite thing that I read about it all day today was just that, like, Jeter's trying to, like, out L'Oreal Loria. <laughs> like, he's doing a pretty good job so far of being deeply unlikable as an owner. Yeah, he's like, just going to burn the whole thing down and, and rely on, you know, retired New Yorkers who still love him, yeah. who all live in Florida now. <laughs> Sleeper agent just taking Marlins apart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I feel terrible for, you know, Marlins fans. Like, man, they've had it bad, you know, after, you know, Jose Fernandez dying. I mean, they thought, you know, they were close, and, you know, that was just just a huge blow, and they've also had to put up with one of the worst owners in the game. And now you find out, like, oh, Derek Jeter's taking over. Like, maybe things will be different. Maybe he'll be the the Steve Iserman of of baseball. And uh, so far, (laughs) it's not, not looking good at all. Yeah, he just hangs out in his office with his two iPads and his giant, like, Purell dispenser. <laughs> you seen that picture of his office? It's insane. I know it's kind of creepy, isn't it? It's just stark and empty, and there's a huge standing Purell dispenser. Yeah, he needs um, you know, he needs to talk to Arod about getting some centaur style artwork of himself up on the walls in there or yeah, something. Just like giant pictures of like kids, and then a huge stack of baseballs to sign. Oh yeah, and you know that never ends. I, and that's the thing, like you know, Derek Jeter's not far enough removed for me yet to to run a team you know he's still like beloved by a lot of people who you know haven't i haven't really like switched generations yet so i don't know it just seems like yeah, it was all too weird. too soon and he's taken over you know an organization that always has trouble anyway so i'm just like yeah so you know we could talk about ron garden and the coaching staff but i don't want to yet i think we should no just, good let's wait <laughs> we'll just we'll just save that so I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap up episode one of the Bless You Boys podcast, starring Ashley and Brandon, and we will probably see you back next Tuesday. We're gonna try to kind of establish a regular schedule here. Um, we've got some ideas for guests. Um, hopefully, we'll be getting Dan Dickerson, um, maybe a few other luminaries. will be willing to. Uh, I drive cook... on. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe I'll reach out to my boy Gabe Kapler. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I had to drop that in there. Um, but, but yeah, probably Mr. Kapler is too busy now that he's been hired as a manager and not for the Tigers. So we'll have to pass on that one, but yeah, we've got some ideas for stuff coming up. Um, and we'll probably end up quizzing people on the site a little bit for what you want to hear. Um, we're going to have some other staff members on here and there. And so we'll just kind of take it, um, take it slow, play it by ear, just like this off season is going to go for the Tigers and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.